0: You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show.
1: Good morning and welcome back to Real Presence Live. Thanks for joining us this fine, beautiful Leap Day. I'm Heather Caro and I'm broadcasting today from Sioux Falls and my co-host...
2: Aaron Bosch, hello
1: hi up in fargo he's also running the board so we're multi-talented today
2: we always try to be as useful as possible
1: there you go i mean we can just do a little bit of everything yeah. so
2: i mean they pay us a lot of money to do this sort of thing so we got to <laughs> we got to make sure that we're doing it right oh
1: that's funny <laughs> <laughs> oh, well we have a great guest coming up and aaron i'm gonna let you introduce doctor for us
2: Okay, well, our guest in the studio today is Dr. Christopher DeCock. You may have recognized him from a few of our previous shows, where he has given us very, very uh, useful information about bioethics, the view of the church on almost every medical topic under the sun. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's almost world renowned. I I don't maybe want I don't want to put too much uh, on your shoulders there, but I would say. Well, you're I definitely almost a local want to say he's now. like
1: our our resident RPR doctor on staff. You know? Yeah. There. Oh, yeah. There we go. He's
2: he's our <laughs> unofficial. Um, court doctor, why whatever we want to word how we want to word that. So yeah. welcome to the show, Dr. DeCock. Well thank you. Unfortunately, as my little
3: brother says, I'm not a terribly useful doctor <laughs> since I'm a subspecialist. <laughs> but every now and again I surprise him. So um, and as always, whenever I speak on the air, I do have to, you know, acknowledge that my employers may or may not agree with everything I say. And I was wondering if we could just say a quick Hail Mary for a friend of mine who's looking um, at uh, a job today, a uh, mm. professorship somewhere. So. Oh, absolutely.
2: I'd be happy. I'll right. be happy to leave if that's so. In the name All right. of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm. Hail Mary, full of Hail grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mother, Mother of God, of God pray, pray for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. 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 Father, Amen son and the holy spirit amen yes best of luck with the job for dr Cox's friend we hope that you end up in the place where god needs you to be
1: amen thank amen. you
2: appreciate it yeah no problem at all so what are we talking about today doctor i believe you sent me as usual a really great interesting topic with a lot of notes i'm excited to jump into it what do we have today well technically uh, you're the
3: one who uh sent me the questions. I just (laughs) sent you the answers. I believe you sent me the topic, so
2: we always bounce off each other when we're doing these. So anyway,
3: so today you wanted to talk about euthanasia because of the upcoming laws in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to start off, I think it's important to define terms. And so there are a lot of terms out there, but I'm going to just start with euthanasia. And this definition I'm getting from a 2018 paper in the Journal of Palliative Care, where euthanasia was defined as a physician or other person intentionally killing a person by the administration of drugs at that competent person's voluntary request. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So that so that's big. So let let's unpack that, okay? So what are the the elements that are most important? First of all, it has to be a competent voluntary request. And mm-hmm. so Because of that, you need to make sure that there's informed consent associated with it. You need to make sure that there's no coercion in it, right? You also have to make sure that there's no depression or anxiety, things that would make that person less competent to make such such a decision. And, of course, the reason they look at that and they think that, well, you can make such a decision is because, of course, in our Current culture, you know, the autonomy of the individual seems to trump all other principles. And so, in the secular world, if I'm competent, I can basically decide whatever I want. And so, that's why you get that euphemism, right to die. So, as an autonomous individual, according to secular bioethics, I have the right to to do basically whatever I want according to my autonomy. Now, of course, that's not true in practice, um, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now, the second thing that we need to unpack is that they specifically say how. It's by the use of drugs. Now, this is how euthanasia is practiced throughout Europe in, you know, unfortunately several states now. And so it's through the use of drugs. Okay right? And and it's usually drugs that are su- prescribed. Now, in the definition of euthanasia, they're not talking about, you know, the physician or other individual physically giving the person those drugs, but just making those drugs available.
2: Okay, so th- it could be either the patient, like, puts it in them themselves, or the doctor could possibly put it in themselves. Is there a distinction there? Um, well, there is, and we'll okay. talk about that in a okay. little bit. So,
3: Um, that would be more physician-assisted suicide Mm -hmm. as opposed to euthanasia. But then, of course, the other one is the intention. This is the intentional killing. And so, basically, with the definition of euthanasia, a physician like me provides the means for someone to take their own life, usually not by an injection, per se, but more like a massive amount of you know, opiates or sedative medicines, and then, of course, if I do that, I'm intending the evil, and so that, of course, is formal cooperation with evil, and so that is unethical as well.
2: Okay, so thank you very much for laying that out. Now, again, I believe you mentioned that there were a few different names for euthanasia that I think you touched on briefly. Again, there's a few, they seem to me, again, from my layman's perspective, kind of like marketing terms, like you know, there's always like right to die or compassionate care. Could you talk about those Just touch on those? Right, and before I do that, I'm going to specify those other
3: terms we had talked about, specifically assisted suicide Mm -hmm. and physician-assisted suicide, or some people call it a physician-assisted death. So assisted suicide is defined in that same paper as a person intentionally helping another competent person to terminate his or her life at that person's voluntary request. And the latter is that a physician intentionally helping a competent person to terminate his or her life providing drugs for self-administration that's at that person's voluntary request. Now, if you listen to that second definition, that's very similar to the definition for euthanasia. And in the medical literature, they actually put the two of them together with sort of the acronym PAS-E, so, so it's Physician all Assisted together. Suicide Euthanasia, right? Okay, makes sense. And so they're lumped together. Now, we had talked about those terms like right to die. Well, that's just a euphemism, right? Just like, you know, compassionate care. As we discussed last time, compassion means to suffer with. And that's fiendishly difficult. You talk to caregivers of people with chronic disease, it's very, very difficult. And but it's also very sanctifying. But of course, anything that would, you know, lead to the destruction of one of the members of that relationship is not compassion in any way shape or form. And then another one is medical aid in dying, so that was popularized in Canada, and we're sort of adopting it. and And part of the reason we want to adopt these terms is because suicide, or as John Paul II termed it, suicide murder, in the case of physician assisted suicide, is a is a yucky term, you know. Not only that, you know, one of the things I don't like about compassion, you know, compassionate care is that care is one of the goals of medicine. Killing someone is clearly a violation of one of those goals of medicine. And people often wonder, well, well, how did Hippocratic method or medicine even take off? Well, it was because of an issue like this. Because for the first time in history, when Hippocrates started practicing, the physician was only a healer and not a killer. Right, so you would bring the physician; they would come to your home, and you knew they wouldn't kill you.
2: Which but seems like a very good. Oh yeah, uh, angle. absolutely. But I can see why that market got a lot bigger. Yeah, and it, and, and
3: it was huge, and it <laughs> went forever. But now, of course, we're backsliding.
2: You know, into you know physicians now as killers. And Hippocrates, I mean, he was an ancient Greek doctor, so that was, I mean, how many thousands of years ago? Absolutely. And now we're sliding back to being a Mm pre-Hippocrates society in some ways. I mean, how far Mm -hmm. back can we fall, you know? Mm -hmm. Well,
3: I mean, we are in a neo-paganistic culture, so it seems
2: appropriate that we're falling back there, so very strange sort of again we we often try to tout ourselves as being so forward-thinking but then you look back at the bronze age you guys were just right back to where they started yep. and that wasn't necessarily a great time to be alive which is kind of why god had talked to the israelites to get them out of the areas where other people lived i mean that but that's a very large historical story i won't dive into too much today but i do find that whole observation very interesting but oh yeah uh, getting to, like, we're se- again. You mentioned that like Canada obviously has now allowed uh, medical euthanasia to be legalized. I think in the entire country, correct? I believe so. Yes. And so that does beg the question: How does the medical community in the United States, or even across the world, how does that view euthanasia? Are most professionals for or against it? What like concerns are being brought up about that?
3: Okay. Well, there's there's plenty of concerns, but um, and actually recently, this last summer, there was an attempt. To change the American Medical Association's stance on medical aid in dying, notice they use that term as opposed to suicide, use the comfortable or terms. physician-assisted suicide, from opposed to neutral. And their, in their current Code of Medical Ethics, Opinion E-5.7, they state that euthanasia is fundamentally incompatible with a physician's role as healer, would be difficult or impossible to control, and would pose serious societal risks euthanasia could readily be extended to the incompetent patients and other vulnerable populations. And so this last summer, thanks to a bunch of work by a bunch of great people, this stance was not changed. However, it's going to be revisited again this summer, and it appears that the culture of death never tires of trying to beat down, you know, good decisions. And the other thing is, I'm not aware of any medical society that actually penalizes, you know, physicians or other practitioners who are practicing euthanasia. So the pressure is mostly on the one side versus the other then. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. And, you know, if we look at the Compassion and Choices organization, which of course is a pro-euthanasia organization, they state, and I quote, and this is from 2019, for the first time, the AMA affirmed that physicians can provide medical aid in dying, quote, according to the dictates of their conscience without violating their professional obligation. Mm-hmm. And they also affirmed that the administration of lethal medicine by the physician for the purpose of relieving suffering is different from medical aid in dying. And so you can see right off the bat, they're playing around with terminology. And when we get back after the break, I've got a very long list, which I think is very informative, of medical organizations that are in favor of such
2: changes. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. Heather, do you want to take us to break? Dr. Absolutely. Very, very kindly. I wish most of our guests just led into the break quite like that. So well, that's <laughs> very professional. Again, usually, you're clearly a pro at this.
1: Yeah, usually I have to interrupt our guests, but yeah, doctor's a pro at this. So Folks, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Dukak. He is talking about euthanasia and a lot of controversies surrounding it. Uh, so this may be uh, a sensitive topic for some of our younger ears that might be listening. So just be aware of that. It'll be, um, we're going to do it till about 10 o'clock. So just be aware of that for uh, the parents out there listening. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more with Dr. Dukak.
0: This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.
2: This is Bishop John Fulda of the Diocese of Fargo. The season of Lent is a season of grace and conversion. Just as Jesus spent 40 days in the desert, we spend the 40 days of Lent as a kind of retreat, opening our hearts to God. It's a time for prayer, for penance, and for almsgiving. A time to unite ourselves more completely to Jesus. And we do this in a special way through the sacraments of reconciliation and the Eucharist. May this holy season of Lent be a time of blessing for us
4: all.
5: This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. The Gospel records in Luke chapter 4 that at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus preaches in his hometown of Nazareth and stuns, absolutely stuns, his relatives and neighbors by his authoritative preaching. The good people of Nazareth are so taken aback that they wind up trying to throw him off a cliff and stone him. Even Jesus's capacity to perform signs and wonders was limited by the suspicions and hostile expectations of Nazareth. Not much of reception from the people who should have known him best. Now think about this. If this happened to Jesus, how much more will it happen to us as we faithfully follow in his footsteps as disciples? Do not be discouraged by sarcasm, hostility, or even persecution by family and friends. The Lord will sustain you in your Christian life, even amid persecution.
4: Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace. Power. Purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org.
0: As the new year begins, now is the time to add some predictability
3: to your life by establishing your will and estate plan. More than two-thirds of all adults have no plan. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio. We have some practical tools to help you in preparing your plan. Please visit our plan-giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. It's a matter of just
0: getting started you're listening to real presence live now back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area heard right here on the rpr network
1: and good morning and welcome back to real presence live thank you for joining us this fine morning i am heather carroll broadcasting today from sioux falls south dakota and my co-host up in fargo
2: Aaron Vosh, hello. We've jumped uh, two states in that simple yeah. handoff, right? There isn't, it was no isn't big there deal. an incredible amount of technology that we are <laughs> wielding here at Real Presence Radio? Absolutely. So, uh, Doctor, you had a very interesting observation uh, there that there's many organizations that are trying to push euthanasia, and I want to definitely talk about that in just a second. But I did want to also mention that I know that. Sometimes we talk about controversial topics. I know that our listeners sometimes get a little bit fearful, and I understand that completely. But I just wanted to mention that when we talk about these things, we're talking about them because they happen. We're never like trying to do the radio version of clickbait or anything like that. So right. if they do instill any sort of fear in you, um, I do want to say that we're always trying to figure out, okay, these are scary times, there's bad things happening, but God is always with us. How can we find a way out of this or at least reach a better state than we're currently in so we're always trying to have hope defeat fear when we're talking about these things i just wanted to throw that out there i felt just called to mention that briefly because again we're talking about a lot of scary dark things right now but at the same time there is still reason to hope just as there always is so just Mm -hmm. wanted to throw that out there but doctor you were talking about again there's many organizations and places and a lot of money and frankly powerful individuals behind these moves to legalize euthanasia in many states. Could you go into that a little bit more sure, first, please? Sure, yeah. And and again, you know, listing something is not
3: necessarily helpful, but I think it's it's useful so that, mm-hmm. you know, the listeners can understand, you know, how many people are behind this. Yeah. And this is an old list, by the way. This is from 2019. So medical groups that have endorsed medical aid in dying include the American College of Legal Medicine and the American Medical Women's Association. Other prominent national medical associations have withdrawn opposition um, in favor of neutrality, and that includes the American Academy of Family Physicians, the American Academy of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, and the American Academy of Neurology. And then, of course, you have a number of state medical societies that have adopted neutral positions on medical aid in dying, including the California Medical Association, the Colorado Medical Society, the Connecticut State Medical Society, the Maine Medical Association, the Maryland State Medical Society, the Massachusetts Medical Society, the Medical Society of the District of Columbia, the Minnesota Medical Association, the Nevada State Medical Association, New Mexico Medical Society, Oregon Medical Association, and the Vermont Medical Society.
2: Oh, wow. I think
3: we're quickly approaching half the states there. I yeah, no, no. And, and right. you'll notice, noti- and Minnesota has changed to a neutral. And remember, neutral is that first step mm-hmm. to accepting. To now, it a to answer you your other question, you know, how do most physicians feel? I would imagine most physicians who actually go into healthcare or most healthcare professionals in general are probably opposed to this because that's not why people go into medicine. We go into medicine to heal. But unfortunately, unless individual physicians comply with their medical societies, there are many who feel that they need to be removed from the practice of medicine. And it's also convenient that the Biden HHS has just stripped the physician conscience rights, yet again, Mm. from medical professionals who disagree. So now, if I consciously oppose something like this that my society says I have to do, well, then it's up to the HHS to decide if they're going to... Consider my opposition because there's actually no legal right of action in these cases. So I couldn't actually sue, say, a hospital or an organization. And then, you know, the problem is if you don't comply with professional organizations, I mean, because like I'm board certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, you know, I have different organizations and I, you know, I'm licensed by the North Dakota Medical Association. And Ultimately, like I said last month, you know, those of us in medicine, you know, we have to be willing to become martyrs for the truth. And that's really how
2: it's going. Again, there's it seems like there's almost a sort of at least starting off soft medical purge where just trying to get all the opposition out where you know, if you oppose this sort of thing, they're trying to force you out and get you out of the way so they can force this on to everybody. Mm Because the the end goal, obviously, is going to be euthanasia, you know, everywhere, it seems. That there's no stopping this at some level. Right, at carte blanche. That's what they would like.
3: Now, you had asked also, you know, what are the ethical concerns? I mean, other than the fact that we're willingly, you know, performing suicide murder. Well, of course, there's a slippery slope. There is definitely good evidence, now this is old evidence, too, that the safeguards in the Netherlands and Belgium are ineffective and violated, including administering lethal drugs without patient consent, absent of terminal illness, untreated psychiatric diagnoses, and non-reporting. Then there's problems of lack of self-determination. Psychological and social motives characterize requests for physician-assisted suicide more than physical symptoms or rational choices, and many requests appear to disappear with improved symptom control and psychological support. So if we actually supported these patients, they probably wouldn't want it. Another ethical concern is inadequate palliative care. Because if we actually took care of pain, which, by the way, palliative care is very good at doing, at treating pain appropriately, many individuals would remove their request for physician-assisted suicide. And then, of course, like I'd hinted before when we talked about Hippocrates, this is not a violation of the physician's role as healer. And then lastly, there's problems with means and ends, right? Those in favor of euthanasia say that the ends, the patient's death, justify the means because they're, you know, fixing the problem. But opponents disagree strongly and believe that killing patients to relieve suffering is different from allowing natural death and it is not acceptable. And that last is a quote. So those are some of the,
2: the ethical concerns
3: associated with physician-assisted suicide euthanasia.
2: And as we move on here, we've talked about a lot of the ethical concerns and I'm assuming there's a very deep spiritual concern that the Church has. And I, I think almost all of our listeners are aware that the Church's teaching on euthanasia is negative, but could you maybe dive a little bit sure. deeper into that position? Because obviously we're against euthanasia. I, I don't think anyone's underneath any real delusions about that, right. it seems to me. But so. I guess you could go into why is that and like how do we view this and, again, how is the Church trying to respond to this sure. crisis we're seeing?
3: And when I think about euthanasia, I like to go to Evangelium Vitae with mm-hmm. John Paul, too, because he was very clear about opinions on euthanasia. And Paragraph 65 states, Euthanasia is a grave violation of the law of God, since it is the deliberate and morally unacceptable killing of a human person. This doctrine is based upon the natural law and upon the written word of God is transmitted by the church tradition and taught by the ordinary and universal magisterium. And why is that? Why is that a problem? Well, because, you know, killing someone, even at their request, is a violation of their intrinsic human dignity. It's a violation of the common good. And then, of course, as you know, we're stewards of our body. We can't do whatever we want to our bodies, and therefore we don't actually have if you will, the divine right to end our own life. And then John Paul II states further in paragraph 72, when he's talking about laws for euthanasia, he states that laws which legitimize the direct killing of innocent human beings through abortion or euthanasia, he was talking about both together, are in complete opposition to the inviolable right to life proper to every individual. They thus deny the equality of everyone before the law. It might be objected that such is not the case in euthanasia when it is requested with full awareness by the person involved. But any state which made such a request legitimate and authorized it to be carried out would be legalized in a case of suicide murder. Mm. Contrary to the fundamental principles of absolute respect for life and the protection of every innocent life. And he goes on and says, look, laws that do this are opposed to the common good. They completely lack an authentic juridical validity. And in the end, he states, consequently, a civil law authorizing abortion or euthanasia ceases by the very fact to be true, be a true morally binding civil law. So the church is very clear on the opposition because of the violation of the intrinsic human dignity, because of the violation of the common good, because of the slippery slopes that we've talked about and will continue to talk about, especially with the vulnerable.
2: So there's just, it, it's such just a yucky topic to us when it comes to theology, like it's a complete non-starter, which I mean, it yep. seems obvious, but I, I'm glad that the church has at least come down pretty hard on that sort of thing. And that, that also leads me to, because generally speaking, I would say the, the Western world as a whole has viewed suicide and euthanasia largely, at least similarly to the church, where, you know, for millennia we viewed it as, you know, bad or taboo or something that just shouldn't be done. And even if you, it's funny, if you ever watch like older movies or TV shows, any time the topic gets brought up, you know, even like the 70s or the 80s, it was just completely unthinkable. And that's not even a lifetime ago. So why do you think now that we're seeing this big push against euthanasia?
3: Well, there's, three, for euthanasia? there's three big reasons why I think. First of all is the false anthropology of dualism, right? Mm-hmm. That we are just, you know minds accidentally inhabiting bodies and that Mm -hmm. the bodies don't matter, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and Descartes and the other enlightened thinkers were wrong. And a nice thing I had heard on this recently, it was a couple of weekends ago, Bishop Barron talked about it in his homily, and so if you want to look at it online, it's, are your soul and body at war? And I thought, you know, it's like 10, 15 minutes, well worth the listen. And one of the points he made is, It's like, why would we express in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body if the body didn't matter? Clearly, the body does matter. And then, of course, there's a problem of moral relativity, you know, because people are like, well, I can do whatever I want, and if I can will it, it should occur. And that's, you know, pervades our society as well. And then lastly, there's the problem of autonomy. Autonomy seems to trump all. And so if I can ask for it and I am competent, it should be done. And of course, that's not how the world should be working.
2: We can't just always say that, well, if I think something or if I agree with it myself, I'm always right, because that just becomes a prideful, arrogant way to view the world and, of course, leads society down very ugly paths, as we've Mm -hmm. seen in many ways. Yeah, but uh, I want to continue on this topic, Doctor. Again, it's always fascinating talking with you, but we do have a break coming up here. So, Heather, you're better at sending us to breaks than <laughs> I am. So do you, do you want to take the reins here?
1: Yeah, we have, we've been listening to Dr. DeKock, uh give us some great information on euthanasia and suicide. Um, so we're hap- we have a little bit more with him. So stay tuned, and we will finish up with Dr. Dukak here on Real Presence Live. We'll be right back.
0: This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live, the Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing.
4: If you have ever been through the hell of deep darkness and suffering, like the suicide of a loved one, do you know that your experience may be helpful to someone else? I'm Father Chris Alar. Mercy is defined as a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it does something about it, and when you exercise the corporal and spiritual works of mercy, you are truly loving your neighbor. Jesus said, when a soul approaches me with trust, I fill it with an abundance of graces that it cannot contain it within itself, but radiates them to other souls. Let us show you how to be that radiator and find healing for yourself in the process. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost. And to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Hi, this is Bishop Daniel Felton. So great to be with you as together we journey through a Lenten season always wanted to go closer to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Only in that Lord are we going to find in these holy days of Lent that sense of great healing to our hurts, a deep sense of hope in all of our despair, and ultimately a great joy that we can only find in Jesus overcoming our trials. And so I just pray that Jesus will continue to bless you in these holy days.
0: you're listening to real presence live now back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area heard right here on the rpr network
1: good morning and welcome back to real presence live i am heather carrow i am your host broadcasting from sioux falls and we have aaron hello up in fargo
2: Yes, trying uh, to do my best to run the board and also keep the show running and do everything just do I can. Do all the I'm, things, Aaron. I'm just becoming a master of multitasker. Of You're my doing great. Little over morning. a year <laughs> at uh, Real Presence Radio, and always enjoy it. So it's been it's been very good for me. But let's return to our guest, Doctor Dacock. Here we were talking about uh, euthanasia and the issues that brings up, both ethically and spiritually. So, Doctor, let's uh, talk about again. There are uh, the euthanasia and other other unethical medical procedures are being defended as legitimate because they are voluntary. How do we argue against this kind of consensual morality and bioethics and with the church and all of that? Because it seems to be that our society right now really honors like a personal choice, which isn't mm. inherently bad, but no. it's the personal choice to do anything, which, of course, I mean, Correct. that defeats the whole point of having laws. If you can just do whatever you want, then... Okay, Absolutely. Why, why is anything illegal then? Yeah. Well,
3: and, and I think it really comes down to the importance of the physician-patient relationship or the pac- practitioner-patient relationship. So a good you know, physician-patient relationship should be based on beneficence and trust, and I've talked about this many times, right? So I go to a physician because or he or she will do the best by me, in spite of me and so if I asked for something bad, my physician I trust would tell me that it is bad and would push back against that and a lot of physicians are being discouraged from doing such things like that. but that's a violation of the goal of the you know the physician is healer and you've got to remember in the doctor-patient relationship there's not just one moral agent, there's two moral agents and so I can cooperate with evil. And it's important that I be allowed to not cooperate with evil, you know, just for my own sake, which is why physician conscience rights are so important. And so, really, what I say is autonomy is good until a harm comes. And so, I should not be forced
2: to harm another person because they
3: want me to. Hmm. <laughs>
2: There's, again, there's a certain level of, I guess, mutual understanding between patient and doctor that shouldn't be violated, and there's also a certain respect for individuals as a whole, because, again, a lot of people will, I guess, quote-unquote, consent to self-harm, but obviously self-harm is wrong, even if you want to do it and you can argue, oh, it's only hurting myself, but there's obviously got to be a stopping point there where you can't just, you know, you can't just constantly hit yourself in the head of a hammer or anything just because you want to, like, that's Mm -hmm. wrong. And, of course, things that are, you know, far worse for the (laughs) body. So, Sorry. Oh no, no worries so, at all. And then, of course, this rationale, you
3: know, leads to those slippery slopes like we had talked about before. And I specifically want to talk about some of the, the shocking statistics looking at it globally. And Let's again, these statistics are a little old. Um, they state, despite safeguards for euthanasia in the Netherlands and Belgium, there are data that the safeguards are ineffective and violated. Allowing voluntary euthanasia has led to non voluntary euthanasia. Administration of legal drugs without patient request occurred in 1.7% of all deaths in the Flanders region of of Belgium alone and 0.2% of all deaths in the Netherlands. In Belgium, some deaths occurred mostly in patients aged 80 years or older and without cancer. Euthanasia is granted in the Netherlands and Belgium for people tired of living with unbearable suffering without prospect of improvement. Nurses illegally administer life-ending drugs in euthanasia cases without the presence of doctors. Only half of the euthanasia cases in Flanders, Belgium, are reported. Finally, euthanasia in Belgium includes groups potentially vulnerable to discrimination, including women, elderly patients, the less educated, and nursing home residences. Changes in the medical culture have occurred over the year, have occurred after years of euthanasia practice, and euthanasia is increasingly considered a valid option at the end of life in Belgium. There is evidence that safeguards for the protection of terminally ill patients are being circumvented not only in Europe but also in the United States, as the elder po- elderly population enlarges and healthcare/slash societal support costs increase, the elderly and the vulnerable are commonly considered a burden to their families and society. They may feel pressured to request physician-assisted suicide, which has been suggested as a means to decrease health care costs. The right to die is leading to a duty to die. In fact, a study found that the legalization of medical assistance in dying could reduce annual health care spending across Canada by up to $138.8 million, exceeding the maximum of $14.8 million in direct costs associated with his implementation. Uh, implementation. So the thing I really want to re- repeat from that whole statistic is that the right to die is leading to a duty to die. When and obviously wrong. Yeah, and... The thing is, you know, the Nazis believed that there was life unworthy
2: of life. And unfortunately, so do we. Yes, there's been just so many things going on right now where it seems like we've gotten so slow rolled into believing that, you know, life is meaningless or it doesn't matter. And then, of course, it's always going back to this strange form of pragmatism like, well, it'll save money or, oh, it won't burden this or it won't burden the families anymore, despite the fact mm-hmm. that. All life is, of course, sacred and precious, and even someone who is in a state of maybe being, like, bedridden can still be a great joy for, you know, everyone Absolutely. around them, and the fact that we just don't believe in that anymore, I think, just shows how cynical our society has gotten, and I do, I guess I do have one small observation to add into this, is that this, this I think, could if we play our cards right, lead to the golden age of Catholic hospitals because going to the hospital doesn't kill you sounds like a lot better than going to the hospital that does kill you. Or so the <laughs> nursing home. Yeah, exactly, yeah. or the nursing home. And so I think that one way, this this is just what's been dawning on me as I've been listening to this whole uh, talk you've been giving, Doctor, is that if we really lean back into our faith here and cling to God more, It's going to bring a lot of people in to where we can definitely influence medicine just in that way because, again, who wants to go to the hospital where next door they're euthanizing someone? Like, I don't want to be anywhere near that because I don't know if it's going to happen to me. So that might be an angle we want to take. Is just we don't do that here. We need to advertise that. Unfortunately, we wouldn't have federal funding to help control that. That might be an advantage in its own way, too, because if they don't control our pocketbooks, then we can be independent of them, which I think. Again. Oh, it would be a great thing. Mm-hmm. So there's there's there are advantages and areas that we can get out of this. We just have to actually fight it. Right. And that brings us, I think, to our last question.
3: Absolutely. So as you know, in February of 2023, the Minnesota legislature induced the introduced the End of Life Option Act. So that's FS 1813 slash HF 1930. Now, we can't be half-assed in our fight with this. We need to fight like hell. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be disruptive to our daily life. It's going to alienate us from those in society who believe that these things should be done. But we need to fight. If you live in Minnesota, you need to contact your lawmakers. You need to let them know that such a bill is unacceptable. You need to protest. You need to boycott organizations that support this bill. We've got to draw a line in the sand. And once that line has been crossed, it has to represent a point of no return. Mm -hmm. And the consequences must be permanent and irreversible. This is what happened with the Alamo when Colonel William Travis drew the line in the sand. And the consequences, of course, were permanent and irreversible. Our other
2: option is to bury our heads in the sand. And Mm. that's not an option. Eventually, get, we'll get overwhelmed by so much if we do nothing. And unfortunately, if a lot of, I think, cultural medical issues, that was kind of the response back in the day. Mm-hmm. Though I think, it, I think that has at least somewhat changed. We'll see how this Hopefully. goes. But I think that again, it, it kind of brings me back to when why Catholic schools for a long time had been kind of declining in attendance as faith became less and less important. But then as soon as the, the social issues started to hit things where, you know, there's always the transgender issues and even things like abortion and suicide and trying to get those in the schools, that sort of thing, suddenly we see Catholic schools that actually are very faithful start to, in some cases, exponentially increase enrollment Absolutely. and bring people back. in. it's like, our faith is the greatest advertisement we could ever have. We're just mm. often ashamed and afraid of it. But if Correct. if you lean into that and you say that I don't believe in where this horrible culture is going and I have a lifeboat for you to get onto, mm-hmm. people will run to it. I mean, just as they've always done off the church is that usually people run to the church because there's something really bad going on in the world and they want to be in a place where they feel safe and loved and comforted, which is exactly what God provides in the first place. So, I don't know why we're ever afraid to say that that's what we do, because that should be the greatest honor we could ever achieve in our lives. Oh, I agree. Again, I think if you're a Catholic medical professional, like, this is your your golden moment. This is actually the time you've been waiting for. You could be an inspiration for so many people globally. Like, get loud. It's time to do it. No. And the thing is, I mean, I
3: hope, you know, this doesn't sound like I'm the boy who cried wolf, but... I'm going to be blunt. The culture of death is attacking every single angle. They've decided when life begins. They've decided when life ends. They've decided that sodomy is normal. It must be celebrated. They've decided that our children can be mutilated through gender reassignment surgery without parental consent, that children can receive mass amount of hormones that are harmful to them and to engage in illicit behavior, that we can create embryos and selectively destroy or freeze them for the commodity of having a child, that three people can have a baby, that starving disabled people is acceptable. Mm. And if we disagree with people, we will be socially, financially, and even physically martyred. And this is just a short list. And the question I have to ask is if I keep my job, but they euthanize my parents, sterilize my spouse, and mutilate my children, was it worth it? Uh. I think most people would say no Uh. to that. And and that's where it's going. And we must give no quarter. And so I would like to close, if I may, We're running a little on time With an here, excerpt of the St. Crispin's can. Day speech attributed to King Henry V of England by Shakespeare. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. This day shall gentle his condition, and gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse they were not here. And hold their manhood cheap while any speaks that fought with us on St. Crispin's Day. Today is St. Crispin's Day for us, and we must fight evil
2: or we die. Euthanasia is evil. We'll be right back on Real Presence Life. Thank you for joining us, Doctor.